Hello, my friends. Hello, even if you're not my friend. Hello. It is awfully late in the game here, as I write this. As I record it. As I send it out to the world, to you from my forest, all the way over here. The sun is setting as I write this, and it is setting late and soon the night will be very dark. Because it's a new moon tonight, isn't it? Have you thought about the new moon? Have you thought about what it is you want for this new cycle? This new cycle of growth, celebration, release, decay, rebirth. Ah, and before I knew it, the night passed me by and I wasn't ready with a story. A new day has come, a new day for a new moon, and perhaps that's the way it has to be this week. There's no point in wrestling with stories. They come to you when they come to you, I think. Anyway, thank you for your patience. I'm ready now. And... I would like to celebrate. I did celebrate last night, in fact. And I continue to celebrate today. And I would like to keep doing so, too. I love celebrating on a new moon. A new opportunity. An opportunity to be someone new. Or to achieve something new. Or to newly release something. Or... You understand, there is so much to celebrate when change is in the air. So this is what I asked my tarot cards this week. Two days ago, to be exact. I drew a card then for the story I will tell today. As I stretched in the sunlight and yawned a great yawn, I shook a few ripe grapes, or are they berries? from my vine-like hair, and tried to wash my hands but found that my fingers and toes are forever stained purple. Wait, not forever, but until I change again. And I change frequently, so I suppose no, not forever. No. My eyes are still yellow and able to reflect light when they find it. Always that. Always mirrors in my eyes now and I like it that way. They reflected the light of the torches in my forest as I looked up from my cards and saw visitors, young, adventurous, but terrified at the sight of me. Some kind of strange nymph or sprite or spirit or monster, definitely not human, but certainly aware enough of the sight I must make, enough so that my smile startled them. Imagine how terrible it must have been. Probably because, whenever I smile now, a dark purple juice drips from my teeth, only their canines sharp now, as I've decided to keep just a little of who I was before at least for now, and my teeth are stained as well. 
I am a mess, but I think that is what I would like to be for a little bit. And so I smile often. Two of the adventurous young people were frozen in place. One of them did not look away from my eyes, and he slowly removed from his sack a little container with food in it. Food. Food. Hmm. No. I create my own food. I have no need of it. I shook my head slowly. He put it back in his pack. Smiling still, always, I clicked my head quickly in the direction they should go in, in order to escape me and my terrible wrath. My wrath is not terrible. In fact, I don't know if I have any wrath. But sometimes I like to let people think I do. Two of them ran. The third slowly backed away, still unable to look away from me. I think perhaps I shall see them again soon. Maybe. Perhaps. Maybe him. He who did not want to look away. Anyway, back to my cards. What should I celebrate? What should we celebrate? I asked them this over and over as I shuffled, and I drew the Five of Pentacles reversed. Well, thank goodness that it's reversed. Upright, the Five of Pentacles is financial strife, scarcity of resources, that sort of thing. But reversed, it is indeed quite the opposite. It means that, little by little, and steadily, good things will come to you that you need. It is an end to strife. Optimism. The act of overcoming. Regaining one's equilibrium. Good, good, very, very good, indeed. Whatever you have been enduring, whatever you've lost, it is slowly returning. Easy to assume that it is money, especially as I look at these five pentacles, these five coins. But riches can be found in many places, of course. But this card indicates a shift from scarcity to abundance, whether literally or whether in thought only. Perhaps the opposite of the five of pentacles upright is a spiritual scarcity in place of financial scarcity. I don't think so. I think this is a good card to draw upside down. But I would caution anyone that, as they find abundance growing in their own life, they must safeguard their generosity of heart and soul and spirit as well. Do not let material gain cloud your sense of compassion and empathy. It is easy, so very easy, to forget that, isn't it? I suppose that must be the story I tell tonight. Let me see what I can recall. From a different world, from a different non-time, for time doesn't exist, of course. 
Let me see. Imagine with me for a moment. Complete darkness. It shouldn't be too difficult for those of you with your eyes closed. If your eyes are open and need to stay that way, however, that's alright. Just imagine for a moment that you were asleep, and when you woke up, it was still just as dark as if your eyes were closed. Wouldn't that be awful? Don't fear. It's only our imagination for now. But for the hero of our story, it was all he could see as he lay inside a stone casket, its lid heavy and wrapped with plenty of chains and padlocks. He was imprisoned here. He didn't remember everything right away, but suddenly he remembered that. The beginning of our story is the end of most stories about creatures called vampires that we've heard about in the past. How many times have we seen them burn in the light of the sun after a great battle? How often do they die by a stake through the heart, plunged by the hand of some virtuous young human? How often are they locked away, deep, deep below the earth? left screaming into a terrible, enclosed darkness where no one will ever hear them. And this is where our hero found himself, awake. After a hundred years of screaming, a hundred years of clawing, and then, finally, a hundred years of sleep. Three hundred years... Exactly. He opened his mouth and gasped, though he didn't need air, he recalled, into his dry, mummified lungs. His lips cracked as he did it, and he tried to cry out in pain, but the sound was hoarse and crackling, like a dying fire, he sounded. He raised two weak, skeletal hands to the lid of the casket, and pushed. At first, nothing. Again, nothing. But on the third try, he felt it shift. And he heard the chains fall to the ground, first with a loud clamor. After that, the lid dislodged itself easily enough. And as he used his arms more and more, the stronger they grew and he was able to throw the whole thing to the ground. Yes, that's right. He thought to himself, I was a powerful thing. A very, very powerful thing. He couldn't remember all the details about who he was. Not immediately. As he sat up and clutched his aching skull, a few images 
returned to him. Being restrained by dozens of angry hands, a loud and mournful voice shouting some kind of incantation over the din, a castle on fire. I was the lord of this place, he recalled. I ruled over all the land. I took as much blood as I pleased from the people. I didn't answer to anyone or anything other than my own hunger. He felt two things as he remembered this. First, the echo of an old sense of pride. An old sense of pride that he used to feel when he asserted his dominance over everyone he encountered. And second, a response to that terrible nostalgic cruelty. A feeling he'd never felt before. It felt like he was falling from a great height, and his stomach dropped. It was guilt. He groaned and growled at the sensation. He detested it. He'd never felt it before. Why should he feel it now? Especially when he deserved his revenge. He didn't stop to realize that it should not make sense that he was growing stronger. It didn't even make sense that he was suddenly awake. This vampire had not had a single drop of blood in three hundred years. But he was growing stronger. His face was still gaunt. But it was more than a skull now. His eyes had felt like sandpaper when he first woke, but now they were growing moist and ready to take in the world around him. Only his hair had continued to live over the last three hundred years, and it was now a glorious mane of glossy black curls that reached his feet. This was the only reminder he had of his former glory. He wore, even still, the raiment of a king, black and red velvet for his robes and his cloak, and leather boots with gold buckles and gold chains around his neck and wrists. His crown, however, was missing. Unfit to wield the power you stole, and used only to hurt and to kill. For three hundred years you'll cry unheard tears. But, Lord Vampire, you'll yet have your fill. A voice echoed in his memory. A gentle voice. A firm voice. A voice that was there when he was captured and locked away. Was it a witch? Was this a spell? Did it matter? He slowly made his way through the royal crypt, and his feet remembered their way to the stairs. He knew enough to cover his face with his cloak. His skin was rough as tree bark, and his teeth seemingly enormous with how far his gums had receded away from them. His long fangs were like a viper's hanging over his bottom lip, and his lips were so thin now that he couldn't hide them. So he knew enough to cover his face. So hungry. The words echoed out in his mind. He knew he'd need blood, and soon. 
and if he faced a group of angry, frightened people, he would stand no chance. He would need to be careful. He found the door leading from the crypts to the palace. His palace. He could only hope the door was unlocked. And it was. Fools, he thought with disgust as he remembered the weak and common people who had taken their revenge on him three hundred years ago. He walked into the Hall of Mirrors, something he'd had installed during his rule, because he had loved his appearance so much. He thought it was funny that others expected him to have no reflection, especially since he loved his reflection so dearly. Perhaps it was the only thing he'd ever loved. But it had been deserted so long that the mirrors were now covered in a fine layer of dust and dirt. Some were hidden by thick cobwebs. No one had taken care of the place in his absence. But no one had desecrated it, either. He caught only the most vague glimpse of himself. But he looked away in horror when he saw how hideous he was now. He was no longer the glorious, beautiful, fearful vampire lord he was that they had all detested so. He was now just a walking corpse. He felt another feeling now that was entirely new to him. It was like his heart was being pulled out of his chest. It was beating rapidly, too, which he didn't understand, because... It had never needed to do that before. It was sadness. He was sad to see just how monstrous he looked. Even with his fine clothes and hair, he looked like a shell of what he once was. Just the hollow corpse of a prince who was no longer needed. He couldn't bear it any longer, and he kept walking. He reached a hallway, and he recognized it as a place that was once decorated with beautiful marble statues and gold trinkets he'd either taken by force or had made for him by shaking artists' hands. They were all gone now. Robbed, he thought to himself and snarled, imagining how much he'd delight in taking them all back by force. Are you all right? He heard a voice echo out from several yards away. It was a man. An old man carrying a large sack on his back. He stared at the strange cloaked figure and shook a little, but he did not move. The cloaked figure moved towards him slowly. I am not well. He growled and kept his head bowed so the man would not see how frightful he was. Though the man was old and thin and frail, he would make a fine enough meal. I am hungry, the vampire lord said, grinning, though the old man could not see it. Oh, well, I, I can help with that, the old man said and reached behind him to take an apple from his sack. It was practically overflowing with the fat, juicy, shining red things. 
he held the best one out to the stranger in the cloak. The vampire reached out with a bony hand that now just looked a little more frail than the one that held the apple out. He was growing stronger, somehow, strangely. He thought for a moment that he would instead grab the old man's hand, pull him towards himself, and sink his fangs into his throat. But he found he was not hungry for his blood. Odd. Perhaps it is because he was so weak. Perhaps his blood could give him nothing of worth. And that apple looked... good. He took it and nodded his head, since he did not really know how to say thank you. I don't know who you are, stranger, but you should stay around till evening. There will be a great banquet in the palace tonight the old man said with a smile, though he was still shaking. The palace? The vampire lord asked, his voice only a little less hoarse than when he first woke. Yes, this palace. At sunset there will be a great feast. Everyone will be welcome. Lord Vampire did not like this. This was his home. And now everyone, the people who had defeated him and locked him up, or at least the descendants of those people, perhaps, had taken it for themselves. I will be there, he said with a growl, and though the old man couldn't see it, a fanged smile as well. And because he thought it might be suspicious if he did not do it, and because it was too heavy for his weak and frail fingers, he removed a golden ring from his hand with a large ruby set in it, and gave it to the old man, who thanked him profusely, shook his hand, and left. He kept walking, and he thought on this banquet. Why did that word bring back another memory, another painful memory? Three hundred years for old blood to die, three hundred years to renew, and when you awake at a banquet you'll slake your thirst with a new kind of brew. The words echoed in his mind again, the determined, gentle, still furious, still mournful, but determined, determined, determined voice the voice he knew of someone whose power was different from his, but well-matched. Long gone, long gone, no need to fear any more. He went to the huge gilded door of the castle, the front door carved with several warnings in languages long past. Would he leave the palace, after all? Should he go out into the daylight? where he'd be even more weak than he was inside. But he felt strong. He wasn't sure if it was a good idea, but he pulled the red apple to his lips. Ah, it was cool against them, and fresh. And it smelled like... like a world he'd long forgotten. But he knew it was not for him. Blood, blood is all... He thought to himself 
I will have my fill of it when I take my revenge, he thought, and he slipped it back into one of his pockets. But his stomach ached even more violently as he did so. The hunger was terrible. Are you all right? He heard another voice in the hall. It was a young woman. Thank goodness, the vampire thought to himself. Another opportunity for a meal. He had so carelessly let the old man go. But here was a young person whose blood could easily make him stronger. He grinned, and his tongue found the edge of one of his fangs, and he approached her carefully. I am hungry, miss, he said, bowing his head, pretending to be much more frail than he was, hoping to lure her into his web. Oh, well, I can help with that she said, and held up the large basket she was carrying. In it, there were loaves of bread, freshly baked, warm and fragrant. The smell of it filled his nose, and his stomach growled, and surprised both him and her. She held out a loaf of bread to him without hesitating. The man reached for it, thinking to grab her by the wrist and pull her in and close those brave young eyes for good. He would use her blood to grow even stronger and reclaim his missing crown. But he paused, surprised to see that his hand was stronger now. Still thin, still bony, but stronger. So distracted was he by this that he simply took the loaf of bread from her and bowed his head in thanks. The crust of the bread cracked a little as he held it in his hands and felt the warmth within. Oh, it looked very, very good to him. When was the last time he'd tasted bread? Oh, I do hope you'll join us for the banquet tonight. There will be plenty of food and I think it will be a lovely celebration. Or at least I hope it will be. We all do, she said, smiling. And her smile made him feel warm, welcome. Welcome in my own home, he thought to himself, and grew suddenly very furious. But he hid it well. There was that word again. Banquet. At a banquet, you'll slake your thirst with a new kind of brew. He grinned, though he was careful to not let the young woman see it. Indeed, I will be there, he said, and he decided to let her live. For now. At this banquet, oh, he would be sure to gorge himself indeed. She smiled and waved as he let her pass by unharmed, but not before taking a heavy gold bracelet from his wrist, which had been hurting his weak arms with its weight anyway, and because he thought it would be a wise way to gain her trust now so that he might feast on her later. And so he gave it to her. She accepted with a bright and beaming smile, touched by the gift, Inside, he laughed at her foolishness. 
His stomach was practically roaring at him now, and the girl headed to what he assumed was the dining room, a great chamber he recalled designing with a long table that could host countless guests and plenty of empty space for dancing and singing and music and celebration. But he'd never used it. He had imagined all kinds of gothic balls and vampire feasts and decadent, debauched evenings of merriment at the cost of others' lives, entertainment at the cost of others' pain, and sustained life at the cost of others' blood. When he was the lord of this place, he imagined hosting vampires from all across the world to show them how he was the most powerful, the most cruel, the most terrible, and they would celebrate him for it. They would dance ghastly waltzes to the music of an undead orchestra. They would laugh at the frightened faces of mortal servants who just wanted to make it through the night alive. This was the kind of banquet his dining room was designed for. But it never happened. As far as he knew, he was the only vampire in his country. Maybe even the world, for all he knew. I know otherwise, but I know everything that goes on in my own world, even more than he did. And he did not create others. He only took for himself. In fact, in all his long, immortal years before his three hundred spent locked away, he had never really used the dining room, had he? That's where the banquet would be. He would be ready. Oh, I will slake my thirst indeed. But first, he had to satisfy one little curiosity. He opened the front door. In his time, the land had been parched and barren, since the people were struggling so to survive under his rule. But now, it was green. It was growing. It was thriving. He saw orchards, farmland, clear blue streams, cows and sheep grazing in the setting sunlight. He saw people finishing their work for the day, and he heard their laughter on the wind. It was springtime, because it is springtime, and new color was sprouting everywhere. He hadn't seen it like this since, since he couldn't remember. His eyes hurt a little in the sunlight, and a strange smile tugged at his lips, a new kind of smile and his eyes ached a little more, and so did his throat as tears fell down his cheeks. What on earth is this? He thought to himself, as he realized that he was crying, because he felt something else new. Maybe joy. Maybe something more than joy. He disgusted himself with it, and was about to turn back and go inside once more. But then he saw 
heading towards the castle. A large group of people, each with a basket on their shoulders or a sack on their back, or even pushing a wheelbarrow before them. They were coming to the banquet. His heart beat a little faster at the thought of all those necks, all of that blood, just waiting to feed him, waiting to give him more power, give him more and more and more. And his old self returned, his old, hungry, ruthless, decadent self. Are you all right? He heard a voice say, coming from the base of the stairs leading up to the front door. It was a little child. This took our vampire lord aback. He didn't even have time to hide his face. But the child was not afraid. The vampire touched the tears on his cheeks, and he found that they were smooth and soft and full once more. He must not have been very ghastly at all. Not anymore. He took care to hide his fangs with his hand, however. I am all right, yes. He answered and looked at the child. He was so hungry, our vampire. But he could not bring himself to imagine attacking this creature. Why? He had done it in the past, or so he thought that maybe he had. He couldn't quite remember. It was all a blur, but the little thing, with their wide and happy eyes and a bouquet of flowers in their arms, made such thoughts very unpleasant indeed. So he simply smiled and nodded. Yes, I am all right. The little child nodded back and handed the vampire lord a little yellow flower. See you at the banquet. Wait, he called out, and the child stopped. He didn't know why, but he felt strange that the child had given him a gift that he hadn't returned. So he took a golden chain from around his neck with a lovely diamond pendant, and gave it to them with a smile. Why did he do that? The child danced and clapped with joy, and looked at the little treasure before heading in, entering the evil palace, of their own free will. And they were followed by a parade of mortals, all entering his home, his fortress, his eternal carnival of pain and blood and death. An apple in one pocket, a loaf of bread in another, and a flower in his hand. The vampire lord's stomach pained him fiercely now. I will gorge soon, oh, so soon. His old voice echoed in his memory perhaps out of habit than anything else. You know me by now, don't you, my friend? So you tell me. Does he kill them all? Each and every one of them? Does he feast, as he always did, not on what they offer, 
but on what they need to survive. I can't hear you, so I'll just finish the story. He hid himself in his old chambers until nightfall. The people were in his home, setting a great banquet for themselves out, and that old voice in his mind was still raging, still furious. Mine, 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 all of it. How dare they? It repeated over and over and over. He couldn't wait to feast. He couldn't wait to drink from throat after throat, until they all regretted the actions of their ancestors, and their decision to enter this place that was not theirs, but his. He had the power to do it, he knew. Looking in the mirror and seeing his face, just as smooth and beautiful and cruel as it was three hundred years ago, he knew he could do it. He may no longer have his crown, but he had the strength of his arms and the sharpness of his fangs. I will take my crown again. He smiled. He didn't have to hide anymore. He removed his cloak. He shook the dust from his old black and scarlet robes, and he polished his gold jewelry. He tied his great mane of black curls behind him so that they would see his face. They will know who I am before the night is out. But by then, <laughs> it will be too late, he said, laughing. Though it was not a joyful kind of laugh. He had promised himself that they would pay, and now... Today was the day. By some luck or other, some magic or other, he had awakened on this day, just in time to take his rightful place as lord of this land. Scorch the earth, take from them what they need to live, and laugh at them for it. When he heard music playing and laughter ringing out, he knew it was time. He descended the stairs and entered the great hall. He went to the east wing, where he knew his dining room was, and there, waiting just for him, were dozens of people, maybe even a hundred. A banquet, indeed. The band stopped playing music and the room fell silent immediately. Healthy. Strong. All of them shaking a little. They all rose as he entered, standing tall and strong, even if they were afraid. The table was laid with fresh bread, red apples, bright flowers, but also with other things. Wine, juice, fresh water, stews of varying kinds, roasted meat and vegetables, pies filled with colorful fruit, spiced to perfection. A feast. And he was so hungry. Welcome, a voice said. 
Are you all right? It was a woman. She looked familiar. In his mind, a memory flashed. A memory of a woman's face, proud and stern and mournful and angry and many, many things all at once. For three hundred years you'll cry unheard tears, but, Lord Vampire, you'll yet have your fill. Was it her? No, it couldn't be. She was mortal. Her offspring. Her offsprings, 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 offspring, etc., etc. Daughter of a proud sorceress from long ago, who'd punished him with three hundred years of penance. She who cursed him. She who'd set the people against him in the first place. No, he thought to himself. I set the people against me in the first place. He had been cruel. He had been clever. But he had never been wise before. Now, he was wise. I did it to myself. And now, I am so hungry. Are you all right? She asked again. And in the middle of the table, framed as a centerpiece, decorated with little springtime flowers and lovely branches with berries and fruit, was his golden crown. Rage. Burning. Blinding. That is mine. He said, his voice bellowing in the hall. The people's eyes flashed with terror. But the woman, the sorceress, stayed true to her course. It is. You may take it back, she said. You may dine with us if you are hungry for food. Acting purely out of impulse and his old instincts to act out of wrath, he tried to swiftly move to her. In his old life, as a tyrannical undead king, he could have moved so quickly that she would never have stood a chance. But he could not do that anymore. He moved only as fast as these humans could. So he walked to her. She did not walk away. He walked right up to her, inches only from her face. She did not back away. She stood tall and unafraid. He would start with her. Her throat. Her blood. Her life. Clasping his hands, now strong and healthy again, around her shoulders, he snarled and exposed his teeth. But then he realized they were just as sharp as anyone else's here. No more, and no less. You'll slake your thirst with a new kind of brew. Her ancestor's fire was in her. 
the same fire that had punished him three hundred years ago, made her unafraid of him now. He released her and bowed his head. I am so sorry. I am just so hungry, he whispered. She smiled. There is plenty, she answered. And he looked around and saw the old man wearing his ring, the young woman wearing his bracelet, the little child wearing his necklace. They were not surprised. They had known it was him all along. They looked afraid, but they also looked brave. And he felt this time, splitting his heart in two and making his stomach drop and making tears fall from his eyes. Shame. Hey, there, there, the sorceress's daughter said, placing a hand on his shoulder. There is plenty, she reassured him. He reached for the crown, but his hand stopped. He remembered wearing it when he'd committed atrocities. He remembered wearing it as he laughed in the face of tragedy. He remembered wearing it when... Oh, it was too much to bear. Too heavy. Too heavy. So he removed all of his bracelets, all of his rings, all of his chains, and he placed them all at the centerpiece. He felt lighter for it. He took a bite of an apple. He ate a little bread. He sipped some wine. So this was what his homeland truly tasted like. He smiled. The people cheered for the fangless vampire, no longer a vampire, but just a man who even had one or two wrinkles in his face now perhaps from smiling and laughing and crying. And the band struck up a new song, new music the likes of which he had never heard for he had been asleep for three hundred years. He had so very much to learn, and he was excited to do it with a generous people. Abundance returned to the land. Abundance returned to his heart. Abundance repaid gratefully with more abundance. A celebration. Would you like to be there with me now? I am there now because I would like to be. You can feast with me at this banquet if you like. Dance in the moonlight in a vampire's castle where the vampire has long gone and left us with only joyful people and plenty for everyone. 
He's returned. The visitor who tried to leave me with a little gift of food earlier. I think he stayed for the story. He doesn't see how bright the torches are. He doesn't see how dark the moonless sky is. For it's a new moon now, remember? Thank you, friend. I am a little hungry now, I think. But here, take some berries, for I seem to be growing more and more of them by the minute. It is not that I want tribute or trinkets anymore, perhaps. Maybe it is just company and joy. And you've given me that, and the gift of something that tastes like love that you've made with your own two hands. So, thank you. My friend lights little torches in these woods that will help guide you safely home. Go safely, then, and return any time. I will be here. Good night, my friend. Eat well and sleep well. Hello, my friends. This is Kristen Zaza speaking to you now, as I was just then, and saying thank you so much for listening to episode 144 of On a Dark Cold Night. If you don't know me, I write, perform, produce, compose the music for the show. Thank you for your patience this week, as I get this episode out to you later than usual. I started writing this the evening of the new moon, and I finish writing it on my balcony in the sunlight where the two trees who keep me company are growing green, lovely leaves. I think I needed this to really write this story, so again, I appreciate your patience. A little bit of news, actually. I'm really thrilled to say that On a Dark Cold Night has been nominated for five Canadian Podcast Awards this year. We're up for Outstanding Production, Original Music and Lyrics, Main Title Theme Music, Outstanding Fiction, and finally, People's Choice. While those first four categories are only open to podcasters for voting, the People's Choice Award is open for listener voting, so if you'd like to vote for me, that would really mean the world to me. You can do so by going to canpodawards.ca slash vote slash people's choice. I'd like to send a few thank yous this week, first to a new Patreon supporter named Some Guy who pledged a monthly amount in support of the show. Thank you so much for wanting to help me create the show, Some Guy. I'm so grateful. If you're interested in supporting the show through Patreon, every monthly supporter receives access to my ever-updated soundtrack. Head on over to patreon.com slash darkcoldnight to learn more. I'm also sending a big thank you to Dear Rennie, who supported the show via coffee.com and left a very kind message as always. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Rennie. I really appreciate you. If you want to support via coffee.com as well, that's a great place to leave a one-time donation without the perk of the soundtrack. Head on over to ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight if you're interested. I'm also thanking someone who left a review for the show on iTunes. 
Big thanks to Apple listener Mark from Maryland, who left a five-star review with a really, really sweet message, which I appreciate so much. Thank you, Mark from Maryland. Rating and reviewing the show is a huge help and a great free way to support the show and help get the word out there. So I would love an iTunes review if you'd like to give me one. And as always, I do have t-shirts and hoodies for On a Dark Cold Night available for purchase if you'd like some wearable merch. Head on over to bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night to check those out. Thank you again for listening this week, dear friends. I hope that you find something to celebrate for this new moon. I hope for all of us, this cycle, that we can find time for celebration, togetherness, sharing, and plenty. Safely, of course. I often want to write about parties and gatherings in my podcast lately, perhaps because I miss them so much. So I hope you can use this as an opportunity to celebrate with others, even if it's just with me. I'm grateful to celebrate with you. Good night, sweet friends. Take care. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.